Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I am Aaron Watson and my guest today is Neil Seibert. Neil is the author, host, founder of Above Avalon. Above Avalon is a site that is completely dedicated to the analysis of the company Apple. Neil got very interested, started as a side project, talks about its journey from pet project to full-time profession, and also offers some commentary on Apple and its future and what we can expect from it. He puts out podcasts and posts daily to the members of his site, and I encourage you to go check it out. But first, please enjoy my conversation with Neil Seibert. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Uh, this is a pretty cool, as, as always, as I've said through many episodes, it's always cool to connect and actually get to talk to some of the people who run the sites and the blogs that I'm reading consistently and just kind of getting to unpack a little bit more about their story and the work that they're doing. So I, I just want to give you a chance uh, in, in the intro, and, and generally we're going to explain that you know you are covering Apple at your site above Avalon. But what I'm really interested to start unpacking is uh, kind of how you initially got interested in covering Apple. I know that your blog originally started as a Tumblr blog before it uh, moved over to its own unique site. Uh, can you just talk about how you started to get interested in it and uh, basically how you got interested in blogging as well? Sure. I think it all started most likely in college, and this was about eight years ago, where I started to develop an interest in business and finance. I was formerly an engineering student, but I had made the switch into um, the school of business. This was at the University of Connecticut. So I developed a, a interest in how companies were put together. And right out of college, I started working on Wall Street as a stock analyst. And on the side, as a hobby, I was paying attention to what was going on at Apple. Uh, at the time, you had uh, Steve Jobs, Tim Cook, Johnny Ive. They, were, they had just come up with the iPhone. They were about to introduce the iPad. And it really did seem like they were trying to build something that really wasn't just a product. It wasn't just another phone or another tablet, but they were trying to build a company that can last literally generations. And I started to pay more and more attention to Apple. Uh, and I took what I learned on Wall Street in terms of financial modeling, and I started doing it to Apple. And so on the weekends, on the evenings, I would model Apple earnings. I would pay attention to when Apple came out with earnings. And it, it just kind of kept building from there. And then I started writing posts um, on, on a Tumblr blog, kind of just sort of oh, what's Apple up to, why do I think they're doing this, why do I think they're doing that. And I started a Twitter account at the time, and it was just kind of a, a, a gradual build where I found that more and more people were interested in my perspective, and at the same time, I was just keep on learning as much as I can about Apple. It was kind of like if there was a book published about Apple, I would certainly read it. I would try to watch every keynote on YouTube. And before I knew it, this must have been right around 2013, early 2014, 
you could sense that the media landscape was starting to change where you had the the movement online and what my theory was is as that process continues there's going to be room for new players to come up and i was reading a lot of tech blogs at the time and i started to get pretty frustrated with the kind of coverage that apple was getting because here i am I was working on Wall Street. I'm interested in the business side of things. I'm interested in kind of the intersection between the business and technology side. And there really wasn't a site out there that was dedicated to just talking about that one topic. And it, it kind of was really a gradual build where I, I said to myself, I think there's something that I can probably build where I focus on Apple and I'm starting to see different types of monetization. That's not just ads, which I thought was really going to work out well for me. And before I knew it, I said, this is the time. And in late 2014, I launched the site. So at the time, I, I had quit my job on Wall Street, and I started Above Avalon. And late, let's see, a couple months after I launched the site, I launched a membership a, a membership part of Above Avalon, and that is how I sustain everything. That That is how Above Avalon is run. It's completely supported by Above Avalon members, and pretty much from there on out, I've been focused on, I, I do daily emails, I do podcasts, I do a weekly post, and my one focus is analyzing Apple's business. So if I had to look back, I would say it's actually been a process that has gone on for at least six years now, even though I technically just launched Above Avalon membership about nine or ten months ago. Gotcha. That, I mean, what I'd like to understand a little bit more, and that's a great story, is those early years of when you're kind of just doing this on the side and Apple's captivated your interest and your imagination. As you're starting these Tumblr posts, as you're starting you know, these kind of initial content creation, uh, analytics, analysis, applying these skills that you've developed, were you thinking this is going to help me in my role as an analyst and, and propel me that way? Is this gonna, were, you, were you, how strategic or focused or directed were you in where you wanted this to go? Or was it more of a creative outlet and just a way to kind of further develop your skills and flex some intellectual muscle, so to speak? Sure. I would say in the very beginning, it was certainly much more based on it was just something fun to do. And, and I mean, I think it really did fit the definition of a hobby. But I always sort of had that feeling that I wanted to do something on my own. I wanted to start some type of company where I was able to impact the world, even if it was just a very small amount. And that idea kept sort of it kept building. And, and I would say maybe over three or four years, I just had this idea that something's going to happen where I'm going to do something. <laughs> I didn't know the details. I, and I really was actually concerned about the details. I, at the time, I didn't know if it was going to be a site about Apple or if it was going to be something else. But I always had that urge to do something on my own. And I think that the point where I sort of realized there's something here beyond just being a hobby is when I had a Twitter account and 
I was finding that I was getting more and more notice and more interactions with people, who, which I think was great. I mean, I was able to talk about Apple with lots of different people. And I think that's when it started to click that there could be something here where I was just spending maybe you know, just my off hours focused on analyzing Apple. What if I did this full time? What if I did this all day? What would be the result at that point? And I think the major theme was I was wanting to write things about Apple that I was interested in, that I wanted to read. And I didn't find that anywhere else online. And I think that was the, the deciding point where I said to myself, I think now is the time. It's, it's the right time to put all my effort into one focused thing, and that was analyzing Apple. Because I, I sort of have a, a different philosophy on how to cover Apple, and, and, and we could talk about that maybe later. But I said to myself, if I put all my attention right now, I think it's going to catch. And um, I didn't necessarily have a plan B. It, it was just... I felt that there was enough interest in Apple, and I felt that I knew enough about Apple and kept knowing as much as I can about Apple that it was going to click, it was going to catch. And so I launched above Avalon, and when at the time I launched it, I knew that I wanted to eventually get into podcasting, get into a membership site, and you know, there's other ideas that I had in mind. And pretty much from there, of course, there was parts where I, I would change uh, strategy a little bit when I saw that something wasn't working or if I saw something was working, I would go even faster. But looking back, I would say that it, it didn't, re- I, there was probably a couple years where it was just something fun. And, and I almost think that's kind of needed. I don't, I don't think you could have started something like above Avalon. If, if your goal in the very beginning was, I, I just want to start something. I want to start a business and I'm going to uh, just you know, focus on one company and that's it. I think it, there has to be some sort of passion there. And, and the key was just letting that passion guide where my interest was. And at a certain point, it's risky, but you just sort of have to go and say, um, I'm going to try this. I, I, I want to see. The, the good thing is, I mean, I did have skills that were built over seven years on Wall Street. And, and I think that was really the deciding factor was I knew I could take those skills and do something with Above Avalon that probably not a lot of other people can do. Um, and that probably has been the one factor that's set Above Avalon apart from many other sites, is I, I have that business focus, I have that earnings uh, projection experience that it, it does take some time to get used to. And, and uh, you read a 10Q, read a 10K, and, and sort of understand the different parts and pieces. For, for some people, that's going to take quite a bit of time to to learn, but having already that mastered aspect that I was really focused on was kind of things that I've never done before. And I was doing podcasting or um, I, I dabbled in video a little bit. Um, and, and, and that was really the, the, the major challenge. For sure. That's an inspirational story. And I think that uh, another thing that you may be, may be able to provide some insight about around is the metrics that you were taking seriously versus not really paying much attention to. So in terms of, it, I'm going to make this transition, you, you said, yeah, I have this feeling, I think it'll work if I take this full time. Uh, what were you looking at as significant metrics towards the viability of this project? And what maybe common metrics out there, you know, unique visitors to the site and page views and uh, members on the email list and Twitter followers, what ones 
felt most significant to you in terms of the real viability of what you were doing? So I, I started publishing over at AboveAvalon.com November 2014. And at that time, email newsletters, they were popular, but they weren't as popular as they are now. They were just starting to really catch. And I found myself liking email a lot. And so I said to myself, I'm going to publish a couple stories a week on AboveAvalon.com, but I'm going to do a daily email that really just recaps the day's worth of news for Apple. The thing is, when you focus on one company the size of Apple, there's a lot of news out there. It's the most valuable <laughs> company. So I actually never had a shortage of topics to talk about. And in this email, I would literally just search as many sites as I could and, and pick out what I thought were the most interesting and the most important Apple stories. And I would put maybe three or four sentences. If I needed to say more, it would be a post. If I didn't have three or four sentences to say, then it's not worth putting in an email. And what I did was I measured the number of subscribers to that email. That was really my main metric because page views I didn't really care about because I knew uh, that, that the site, I really wasn't focused on just simply grabbing a lot of eyeballs. I wasn't focused on publishing a story, trying to get it to go viral, get 100, 200,000 views because in my experience, what, what happens is that traffic never returns. They come to your site once and that's it. Instead, I want to start building a base. I want to start building a, a type of followership that will keep reading each story. And so I kept tracking the number of people who would subscribe to this daily email. And I figured that was a much better metric than even just sort of tracking the number of visitors to the, to the site. And what happened was over time, as that membership kept increasing, I mean, I, I had made that number public. It was I would say in a couple of days, you start getting a couple hundred people, and then in a couple of weeks, it was a thousand people, and, and then it just, it just kept increasing. It got to a point where I said, and it, this was actually a little bit of a, uh, a suggestion that people gave me that was pretty helpful. They, they would say, they would email me and say, you know, these probably, you should probably charge for these emails because, I mean, I was putting a lot of hours into them. The thing that the, the secret plan, though, or it really, really isn't a secret plan, but the grand master plan was that I would eventually launch a paid version of this email. The thing is, you can't just launch that from day one. You need a base of people that understand the value that you provide. And so over time, when I had enough people in the daily email that was free, I said to myself, okay, well, right now, I would say each email was probably taking about four hours or so each day. What if I dedicate even more time to these daily emails? And that actually is my main focus during the week. And that's when I launched the paid membership of Above Avalon. And, and that was where I started to uh, find sustainability. So there was a couple months there where I didn't focus on finding ads or finding sponsors or launching just a, a paid email right from the start. I see a lot of people trying to do that. And I, I don't think it really works because instead you need to be able to show people what you do. You need to be able to show people the value you, you, you're going to be able to provide. And then even now, I mean, what I'm really interested in is it's still not page views. It's still not traffic. Because at the same time, what, what I'm doing is I'm just writing stories that I'm interested in. And, and some stories I've found 
they go not viral, but they really do have a pretty large reach within the Apple sphere. Sometimes they even extend outside the Apple sphere. Other stories, they will appeal to my core reader, which tends to be two groups, either those interested in Wall Street or finance or Apple the stock, and those who are interested in the technology angle. So what do I think of the new iPhone? What do I think of the, the new iPad? So from my point of view, just building that base was, was the focus. And I have to recognize or have to point out that at the time I launched Above Avalon, I did have a somewhat significant number of followers on Twitter. And that gave me sort of that boost in the beginning um, where once I launched the site, once I launched the email, I, I had a number of people who they knew me. They, they knew my style of writing. They knew how much, uh, how much I, I knew about Apple. And so they were there from day one. And so if you're trying to start a site and you don't have really anyone who, who knows about you, you're just going to need to keep doing it for even longer. You need to be able to build that base. And then once you have that base of support, that's where you can start to introduce different types of products. For sure. And, and really what you're talking about it, more than anything is trust. The trust that you are going to continue to deliver valuable insight, valuable content on a regular basis, which is something that you've proven you can do. Kind of, you mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about your philosophy of covering Apple versus others. And the, the other question that I had to that end is to help illuminate a little bit about how you do your research, where you're getting your information. Because as I read it, there, there is a degree of interpretation of facts along with some insightful facts that maybe I wouldn't get elsewhere. Sure. Um, and just kind of the, the blending of those two, to me, is what really makes um, your coverage so interesting and insightful and something that I can find myself reading, you know, post after post after post if I haven't caught up on it for a while. Right. So what I do at Above Avalon is I start by focusing on Apple and then I work out. And so a prime example would be Apple Watch. It, it was Apple's latest product category that they launched last year. What a lot of people did when, when analyzing Apple Watch and analyzing what Apple was doing was they would focus on the watch industry or they would focus on just the broader technology industry. They would see, well, here's all this data that I have and, well, you have these number of, of watches sold out of Switzerland each year and, well, what can Apple do here? What that does so if you start off just focusing on the technology sector and then you try to figure out what Apple's going to do, I tend to think that leads to faulty analysis. It leads to people thinking that Apple's not going to do something. Another example would be Apple Car. So Apple is rumored to be thinking about designing its own car. A lot of people who are just technology analysts, they look at that and they go, this doesn't make any sense. That why would Apple do that? Look at the car industry now. The data points don't seem to match. What I do is I start by just focusing on Apple. And I, I try to think, how does Apple view the world? So how does Apple view the watch industry? How does Apple view the car industry? And then I work out. And then I, so once I know, okay, I think I, I have an understanding of, of what Apple can do in the watch or car industry, I then look for data points that either support my view or go against my view, because obviously that, that's the important thing. You don't just want to find data points that support your thesis. I want to find holes in what I'm trying to argue. And so, and I do that for everything, every single topic. It could be from the latest iPhone. 
a lot of people, what they'll do is they just look at the technology industry as a whole, and they'll say, well, let me talk about Apple. Uh, but what I do is I focus on Apple, and then I say, well, where does this go in terms of the phone industry? Where does this go in terms of an overall industry? And I think the reason why that's very different than other people is I only do one thing, and that is I focus on Apple. And in a way, that's very risky. It, it would seem that it's a better strategy of just sort of looking at the overall industry and talking about lots of different companies. But I just wasn't convinced that that would lead to the best type of Apple analysis. And it really comes down to understanding Apple. Apple is a company that truly does try to think differently about things. It's not just something that they say in terms of marketing. They look at an industry and they really want to see how can we shake up things. And so what that means is that you can't just rely on your usual data points. You can't just look at an industry and get all of, this, all of these numbers and, and say, well, I think I could see where Apple can go here. You really just need to take a step back and look at the industry, look at the product, and say to yourself, what can Apple do here? You look at the watch, and, and I, I've been a very big proponent of Apple Watch, and I think that putting technology on your wrist is something that has a lot of potential. But if you looked at the watch industry and you would have said, well, people, they're not interested in watches anymore. No one's buying luxury watches. I don't think you would have seen what Apple thinks or, or what Apple sees. And, and I think the Apple car one especially, the news of Apple being interested in the car market, that came out only a couple months after I started Above Avalon. And I was just surprised at how many people in the technology industry they thought it was a silly idea. They still think it's a silly idea. They think it's ridiculous. There's no reason why Apple should get into the car industry. But I would talk to people who aren't related to technology, and they're not related to maybe the finance field. And I say, you know, what do you think about Apple getting into the car industry? And they go, well, that makes perfect sense. You know, I, I don't like the way cars are today. I, I, I don't like how I get into my car and I get just a frustrated experience trying to drive. And and it really started to click. And, and of course, with Above Avalon, being able to just focus on that one topic, that's where uh, I come up with all my ideas. So one of your, your next question was, you know, kind of where do I get my data and, and my different theories? You know, I, I have a very particular view on data, and that is I tend to think when you have too much data, that's actually a bad thing. And... So what I do a lot is I'm trying to look at things without really relying on a whole lot of data. And it goes back to, we go back to the watch industry where I saw a lot of reports coming out of Wall Street where they said, well, here's, here's the current watch industry. I, I, I don't want any names, but one investment bank had a 60-page report. It didn't matter. None of that mattered because here you have a company who they were just rethinking everything. And so... What's very important to do is, is, what I like doing is, I use data that either Apple provides, so I'm really big into 10Qs, 10Ks, I have a earnings model. That's the type of stuff that I'm interested in. And you have things like average selling price for an iPhone, going back and, and trying to maybe figure out the margins for products. That's the kind of stuff I'm interested in, versus customer surveys or customer intention surveys, you know, are you interested in buying a phone next year? Those surveys really 
are worthless. They don't tell you what's really going to happen because people don't know what they want when they don't see it yet. So if Apple comes up with a new iPhone, that could change everything. It could change those surveys. And so going forward, what I typically do is I don't base my articles and posts necessarily on, on just specific data, but I'm thinking what is Apple trying to get across by doing something? So the, the latest rumors is Apple's coming up with a new 4-inch iPhone in a couple weeks. Why would Apple be doing that? Uh, why do it now and not last year? And really, it's just a process of taking the time, truly thinking about it. That's the key. I don't need to rush to get something out and letting it kind of stew in my head for a while. Some topics I may think about for weeks before actually publishing on. Some topics I may never publish because I'm still sort of thinking, you know, what is the main point here that, that I want to get across? Um, and, and then in terms of data, sometimes there might be things where it, there is something interesting. One thing, it going returning to that, the watch industry, you get monthly or quarterly numbers as to the number of exports of watches. And you could go all the way down and figure out within certain price ranges, what were the exports? And you could then see that the price range where Apple operates has been getting a lot of pressure. And and so like th that particular data point I found interesting. And so then I would dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, you know, what may be going on? Is this more is this more due to currency fluctuations? Is this more due to the global economy or is this due to Apple Watch? That that's sort of my process here. Whereas I, I'm not, you know, neck deep in data and, and I get so lost that I can't figure out what the big picture even is. That is very insightful and, and really illustrates your your different take on things. Applying that kind of view to the future and also with your method of starting at Apple and working outwards. You do talk a little bit about the competition that's out there. We've, uh, on this blog and podcast, previously talked a little bit about the quote-unquote four horsemen of the of the future, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Apple kind of being the, the four big behemoths of our modern economic world, particularly in the technology space. When you look at Apple and you know that they are trying to think differently and you are mindful of that they're making decisions very much for themselves, but they have to be mindful of the competition, are there companies or a company that you think they're particularly concerned with? I'm sure they make considerations for all the big guys, but is there one out there that you really see as the biggest rival or enemy of Apple? Yeah, I mean, and I guess one point I would add is even though I focus just on Apple, they don't operate in a vacuum. And so I have to be aware of what's going on in the industry. And, and, and so I track every company and, and well, every major company that, that Apple would, would compete with. I would say that from Apple's point of view, when they're thinking of the future, they're all about selling an experience. And so what that means is if you have an iPhone or an iPad, an Apple Watch, it's the hardware, software, and services, so things like Apple Pay, even all the way down to how you use the camera. That's their product. They sell experiences. And so when you think about the future and, future and competition, where it would come from, you need to think, what other company is trying to sell a similar experience? And I tend to think that, well, first of all, Apple is actually pretty 
nervous about everyone. That that that's what they do, and they they've been very vocal about that. That there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of strategic calculations that are going on, and and, and they stay up at night worrying that some company is going to be so successful that it makes Apple irrelevant. They understand that. They, they, don't think, they don't operate in a bubble. They don't think that whatever they come out with, people are going to go and buy. What I tend to think is Apple's biggest competitor, it may sound a little weird, but it's actually Apple themselves. And one example would be an iPhone. The biggest competitor to the newest iPhone is the old iPhone. And so when you have someone who's using an iPhone 5S, I was just running, um, I did a couple stories recently where there are close to 200 million people who still have an iPhone 5, 5S, or 5C. Now, those phones came out over a year and a half ago. Apple's risk is that those phones are too good and that people don't want to upgrade from those phones. They're too content. That's Apple's biggest risk is when they're going forward, they're coming up with products, they're coming up with uh, things that are better, they're improvements, but people, they're content with something else. They're content with the old product. Um, if you're looking at outside risk, I continue to be intrigued with what Amazon is doing. I, I think Amazon is a very misunderstood company. There's, there's a lot of people who don't understand. Amazon doesn't seem to be re reporting a lot of income uh, in, in their income statements. But what they're really doing is they're – kind of deciding how much income they want to report by determining what their R&D and, and what their investment expense is. But when you take a look at what Amazon's doing, it goes back to what we were saying about the experience. They're coming out with various forms of hardware. Some work, some don't. You look at something like the Amazon phone, that was a major fail, whereas other things, they seem to be catching some sort of uh, following or, or some sort of market. Uh, they're coming into content, so they're going very quickly into content. And what, what's interesting about Amazon is that their main moneymaker is Amazon Prime. And so if you think about the future, you see a world where people pay a certain price for Amazon Prime. The price is going to be much higher than what you pay today. But by paying that one subscription, you get access to all these various products and all these various services, you start to see that they're trying to create an Amazon experience. And then there were stories that Amazon was thinking of opening its own bookstores. Well, over time, you know, just like as Amazon started as an online bookstore and they changed, those bookstores that, Apple, that Amazon's interested in, they're going to start to change as well. And you're going to eventually probably have Amazon stores where you walk in and you can try various products. They could serve as pickup and drop-off zones for things you buy online. And I can imagine you go into here and you, you have a range of Amazon products that you can try. That type of thing becomes interesting. And so you have, you have to sort of say to yourself, okay, and, and what's so interesting about it is they could literally give away most of these products for free because that's how they're making their money, through Amazon Prime. They're not making their money through selling hardware. Facebook. Facebook continues to be someone that you definitely need to pay attention to just because of its size, just because of the amount of talent, the amount of human talent that is at Facebook. What Facebook wants to do is create an experience through a different version of the web. That's really what Facebook is. It's a curated version of the web 
that was primarily based on your social network. Well, what it seems like Facebook wants to do is go into virtual reality. They want to come up. They, again, Facebook has certain hardware divisions where they see a world where we just sort of put a virtual reality headset on. And really, we can replace all of our smartphones. We can replace all of our tablets. Again, the key is Facebook wants to create a certain kind of experience. That's how you determine who's going to be Apple's biggest competitor other than themselves. And I think Apple's response to all of this, and I, I think they are aware that w of what's going on, Apple is Apple's more interested in going up market. They're trying to become a, a, a different type of luxury company. And the reason they're doing that is the experience that's attached to a luxury company is very different than just maybe an experience you get from Amazon if you're going in and you're using free hardware or an experience that you get from Facebook where everyone is using the product for free, but Facebook is monetizing that a different way. With Apple, they see what's happened in the luxury market. They see that there's companies that have been around centuries, and it's because that they, they are playing on certain ideals that are intangible, which means when you buy an iPhone, you're buying it for reasons other than just using the phone, if that makes sense. When you walk into an Apple store, a lot of people, they get this feeling, and Apple wants to build on that. And so over time, they're going to become much more of a luxury brand. I sort of joke, I say, really what they're trying to do is kind of like a mass market premium luxury type of thing. They're selling a lot of devices, so they're not truly a luxury brand in the traditional sense. They're kind of morphing that definition a little bit, but they feel that that is the way they could stand out from their competitors going forward. And so who knows, in four or five years when they come out with a new car, they know that it's not going to be a $25,000 car that kind of just has basically no frills. It's going to be a premium offering that's very similar to an iPhone, very similar to an Apple Watch, and that's all because they're going after a certain brand. They're going after a certain experience that is pretty much aspirational. They're, they want people to work hard and look at Apple products and go, you know what, I want to work in, and eventually buy an Apple product. They, that's their mantra, and, and I, I think it, it's a different type of strategy for them. I mean, they... they uh, they, they've always sort of shown certain tendencies of of the pre of, of looking at the premium and the market, but some of the recent hires and some of their product strategy, it, it certainly seems like they're taking it to a whole new level. And so I think it really is is built with competition in mind. Absolutely, I, there's so much wisdom packed into everything that you've shared today, Neil. I want to thank you so much for dropping all this knowledge on us uh, and. Uh, I'm excited to see the future of Above Avalon, of what Apple's doing, and to read your coverage as things go down. I want to start wrapping up here, uh, and before we tell people how to connect with you and you issue the personal challenge to the audience, is there anything real quick that I didn't give you a chance to say? Um, I think pretty much it's a very exciting time to focus on technology, and, and that's one of the reasons why I started Above Avalon was on Wall Street, I was focused on property and casualty insurance companies, and actually, when you focus on insurance, there, that industry could become interesting in and of, in of itself, but 
I noticed what was happening in Silicon Valley, and and I think we will look back at this era and really be amazed at what's happening. And things like the iPhone, uh, they do ch- they they truly change things. And I tend to think that once we're in it and and we're used to it, we don't really get the proper perspective. You know, I, I sort of grew up in the late '80s and '90s, and I feel like in a way I sort of missed out <laughs> on some of this technology where. I was sort of, you know, battling a, a, a Windows PC and, and trying to figure out how not to catch a virus. But now people, they have smartphones and, and tablets, and now there, there's so many different things happening. So I, I think for those, for those of you who are listening, if you're interested in technology and even if it could be a particular company, I think it's a great time. I don't think you're too late and, and really – focusing on what's happening in technology and, and kind of just adding your perspective, adding your voice to the mix. Excellent advice, and that is definitely something we're a proponent of here at Going Deep. Uh, if people want to learn more about Chenille and connect with you in the digital world, where is the best place to do that? I would say you could go to aboveavalon.com, and everything is there. I have all of my weekly posts you can read uh, all of the daily analysis. There's, there's information on becoming a member. Really what I would say is if you're interested in Apple, if you're interested in what's going on in the world of Apple, what is Apple thinking, I think you're going to have uh, a lot of interest in following Above Avalon. I have a weekly podcast where it's just me, and I sit down, and I really just talk about what I think is happening to Apple. I pick a topic each week, and... And so I, I think those any, anyone who has an interest in that, you're, you're probably going to have. There's a lot out there. There's there, I have a lot of weekly posts by now, and I think you're going to pretty. I think you're going to be entertained for quite a while. There's a lot to catch up on. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all of that. But for now, you, all of that information's on aboveavalon.com. Yeah, I can definitely attest to in, in prepping for this interview, I, I binged on a number of your podcast episodes, and I can definitely attest to both people who want to learn about Apple, but someone else who may be trying to start their own brand, or as we kind of talked about, getting your own blog or analysis product off the ground. Uh, it's also just a great example to, as an example of the dedication and how thorough you are in your analysis, how to, how to issue regular thorough analysis and, and taking a little bit away from that. It'll be hard to replicate because you've been doing it for so long, but just really appreciating the level of detail that you get into. Neil, I want to thank you so much for coming on, and I'm going to give you the mic one last time to take it away with your personal challenge for the audience. Sure. This personal t- challenge is actually something that I'm still trying to master. So this is going to be more of a long-term challenge than maybe something that you can accomplish tonight or, or tomorrow. And that is being focused. I'm a very big advocate of being focused. And I'm going to steal a line from Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs where being focused is about saying no. It's not about saying yes. And so if you're in school, if you're just starting a job, if you're um, whatever you're doing, Try saying no to things that you don't really think you can put your full attention to. Instead, just focus on what you can say yes to. Pick the one or two things where you're, you are very confident if you put all of your resources into that thing, you could do some amazing things. 
that's really the philosophy behind Above Avalon is I say no to a lot of stuff because I'm just not confident that I have the time. That's, that's the biggest resource for all of us is our time. We don't have enough resources to dedicate to lots of different things. Say no and instead just focus on the one or two things that we say yes to. And I'm pretty confident in saying if you do that, if you follow that, whatever you choose to do, it's probably going to be pretty amazing because not everyone's going to have that same yes. So not everyone's going to dedicate all of their attention, all of the resources onto that one thing. For me, I think in high school, it probably was um, you know, doing well in school, trying to learn as much as I can. In college, that thing was probably the stock market. That was my one focus in, in college, and I tried to learn as much about that. That got me on Wall Street, and now with Above Avalon, my one focus is Apple. So I'm a big advocate of being focused and saying no to a lot of things. I absolutely love that challenge. Definitely something I've been working to do a better job of here in 2016. Uh, but one thing people should, more people should be saying yes to is checking out Above Avalon. It will be linked to in the show notes. And just once again, Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we just went deep with Neil Seibert of Above Avalon. Hope everyone out there has a great day. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed my interview with Neil. Thanks to Neil for coming on. If you want to stay up to date with all the great episodes like this one that are coming in the future, make sure you hit the subscribe on Stitcher and iTunes. And also head over to goingdeepwithaaron.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our newsletter comes out once a month with just a curated list of the best links, podcasts, videos from the internet that we found in the last month delivered to you in one concise package. You don't have to worry about a deluge of emails flooding you with offers to sell you things and all that BS. Just a cool email that I like sending out, I was sending out to friends, decided my podcast listeners are friends, they should take part in it too. Check it out and I will catch you next time.